We are working our way through uh, the Nicene Creed. We've been studying together over these last uh, few weeks. And if you've been with us, um, we've talked about what it means to say, I believe in God, what really the nature of faith is. The fact that God is one, I believe in one God. The fact that God is the Father. And this morning we're focusing on just one word that we're going to say together in a moment as we say the Creed. And that is the word Almighty. Almighty. We just sung it. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And uh, I guess it's pretty obvious what that word kind of means, almighty. The fancy theological word for it is omnipotent, omnipotent, all-powerful. The the dictionary uh, definition for omnipotent is the quality of having unlimited power. So look at verse 10. Isaiah says, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. I guess we could have gone almost anywhere in the Bible to see this aspect of God's nature, his might, his power. But this is an amazing uh, chapter of the Bible, I hope you agree with me, where uh, Isaiah just puts into the most wonderfully sort of majestic and memorable language the almightiness of God. And there's kind of a progression that goes through the chapter. There is a sort of a description of God's almightiness. Then there's an objection which might arise in our minds when we think about the fact that God is all-powerful, which Isaiah addresses. And then there's a conclusion with a great application for us. And so those are going to be the three parts that we'll think about this this morning, the three headings. There's going to be a description, an objection, and an application. So first of all, The description of God Almighty. It's an amazing uh, description, isn't it? And look at the way that Isaiah puts God almost into human. He uses anthropomorphic language to describe in ways that we can understand just how powerful God is. Look at verse 12, where he says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? I mean, just think about the oceans. I think a lot of us get an automatic sense of the might and majesty of God when we look out at the ocean, don't we? I remember I lived in South Africa uh, uh, some years ago and I was able to take a trip down to to Cape Town and drive all the way down to the very southern tip of Africa and I clambered out as far as sort of you I could safely get on the rock. So it was just, I was like the bottom person on the continent and you've got the Pacific on one side, yeah, and the Atlantic on the other. Wow, God made all of this. Uh, Apparently, I don't know how on earth they know this, 352 quintillion gallons of water, all able to just sort of, imagine how big his hand must be to hold the oceans in the hollow of his hand. Or has anybody been to the Niagara Falls? Uh, Yeah, a few hands. It does not disappoint going to the Niagara Falls, I have to say. Uh, We were um, uh, fortunate enough to go some years ago. And you get on what initially seems like a very sturdy uh, boat, (laughs) You know, and uh, and you sort of put on this blue plastic poncho, which is absolutely useless because you're going to get drenched no matter what. And you get closer and closer and closer and you feel smaller and smaller and smaller. And you just get a sense of the awe, the majesty, the roar, the noise as 3,000 tonnes of water every single second just crashes over. And enough electricity is generated to power half of New York State, apparently. And just like that quantity of water, Isaiah says, God just holds it in the hollow of his hand. He hasn't got a literal hand. 
He's getting us to think big. He's saying, imagine God with an almighty basket sweeping up the dust. Guess how much dust there is in the world? I was trying to find out. Apparently, all the industries of the world, because lots is used in construction and in glass making and so on, all the industries of the world use enough sand and grit every year to build a 10-metre-tall wall that stretches all the way around the circumference of the earth 72 times. Verse 12 says, Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? That's how big God's basket is. Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance. I mean, just imagine how heavy all the mountains of the earth are. They reckon apparently Everest weighs 810 trillion tonnes, not excluding ice and snow. I mean, that's just one of the mountains on God's scales. I don't know how heavy your scales go up to. Ours is about one and a half kilos before it sort of gives up. But he says in verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in God's bucket. They're regarded as dust, dust on the scales. They don't even register. God's almighty hands. He's not just God almighty hands, says Isaiah. He's got an almighty brain. He's not just omnipotent. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Look at verse 13, where he says, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord? See, nobody can instruct the Lord as his counsellor. Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him knowledge or helped him understand? You see, Nobody can teach God anything. Not because he's unteachable. Well, he is unteachable because there's no knowledge which he doesn't already have. There's no information which is going to be new to him. His brain already knows absolutely who wert and art and evermore shall be. He knows everything. He is awesome. Verse 26. Just look up the stars. Everybody knows this, don't you? You look up the stars and you go, wow, who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one, calls them each by name, all 200 billion trillion stars in our observable universe. We've named some of them, like Polaris and Ursa Major, and then we run out of names and we start calling them things like PSR 0531 plus 219. I think, you know, we haven't got a particularly good naming system. I reckon God's probably got more imaginative names for each of those stars. He knows them all. To whom can you compare him? Now, last week, Francis was talking about the fact that God is one. There's only one God. You shall have no other gods before me. There's nobody like the Lord. And as we've been working our way through this creed, actually, we're trying to build up the essential foundational building blocks of the Christian faith, and they all fit together. Because, of course, it's his almightiness that is his uniqueness. There's nobody else like him because he's so mighty. Uh, And that's what it says in uh, verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? There is no competition for God's almightiness. Those two things go together, his uniqueness and his mightiness. There's the 39 articles of the uh, Church of England put it brilliantly. They say, there is but one living and true God of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness. Or as some of us sung in Sunday school growing up, the rivers are his, the mountains are his, the stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing that he cannot do.
Okay. But, secondly, there's an objection. Probably we're all already thinking it. Because if God is so big and so strong and so mighty, and there's nothing that he cannot do, then why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Why have I just been made redundant, we might be thinking? Or why am I struggling at work? Or why is my relationship not giving me the satisfaction I wished it did? Or why am I not in the relationship I want to be in? Or why did my loved one have to get ill and die? Or why is there so much war? Why is there so much hunger and so much pain in the world? Why, if God is so good, if, as the 39 articles say, he is of infinite power, wisdom and goodness, can't he just snap his fingers, his great big giant fingers, and make it all okay? It's the most obvious question in the world, isn't it? It's the first question everybody asks. We had Alpha, Alpha kicked off on Tuesday evening in the pub, and we all um, start off, started off in our group by saying, if you could ask God one question, you know, what would you ask him? And you know, every time you ask a group of people that question, that is going to be pretty well the top question that gets asked. You know, why would God allow this to happen? And this objection is right here. He knows we're going to ask it in verse 27. It's not just an objection, it's a complaint. God's chosen people, Israel, wanted to submit a formal complaint to the God who was supposed to be their strength. They were saying this, verse 27, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Say, my way is hidden. God, can't you see the situation I'm in? Have you forgotten about my petition, my cause? This is the biggest question there is, isn't it? most difficult question it's you know the question of is there a god isn't a particularly tricky one you know in some ways there are all sorts of good reasons to believe in god logical reasons philosophical historical experiential personal reasons why we ought to believe that god exists but the bigger question is if he exists then why is he allowing all this pain and suffering if he's so powerful and so good (laughs) it's the oldest question in the book literally they reckon that the book of job um was written before the books of moses and the book of job is one long complaint against God. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Have you disregarded my cause? Maybe we're asking that question this morning. What does God want to say to us? We didn't have time on Tuesday evening at Alpha to go into a fully-fledged philosophical explanation for the problem of evil and suffering, partly because there's not time, there isn't time this morning, but partly because there are no easy answers. This is a massive, massive question. But it's not like God doesn't want us to know some things if we are asking that question. What does he want us to know? He wants us to know, number one, he does see us and he does hear us. And I think that's why Isaiah slightly pushes back against Israel and says, why do you complain? Why are you asking that question and saying, God can't see me and he's forgotten about me? Because he has not uh, got his eyes closed and his memory is not faulty. He does see and he does hear. And he sees us this morning and he hears us. He wants us to know that we haven't got the whole picture. It's really important to know that. It says in verse 13, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? He's got a brain way bigger than ours. Or verse 25, his understanding, he answers the 
Question, who can understand the Spirit of the Lord? Verse 20, 28 says, his understanding, no one can fathom. Yeah, we don't understand why God does what he does and why he doesn't do what he doesn't do. But that's okay. You know, if our boys, Fred and Max, can't understand some of my decisions a lot of the time, and I may know more than them, you know, why should I expect to be able to get my head around why God does or doesn't do what he does or doesn't do? We haven't got the whole picture, but most importantly, and this is the third thing, we need to know what Almighty God is going to do with his power. This is the application. What does God do with his power? Have a look at verse 29. What does it say that God is going to do with this almighty strength and this great power which he has? Verse 29 says he's going to give it away. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. This almighty God is the God who gives his power away. Just think about Jesus Christ. How extraordinary the most powerful person ever to walk the earth. Must have been, mustn't he? He's the one who's made the ocean. That's why he can walk, walk on water and everyone goes, who is this guy? Yeah, he's the one who, if he got on the maid of the mist and it was about to capsize, you know, when he's on a boat and they think it's all going to go over, he stands up and goes, quiet, be still. The wind and the waves just stop. And they say, who can this be? He is this God in human form. See, the sovereign Lord comes in power, Isaiah says. And yet, Jesus Christ, the most powerful person ever, when he came, how did he come? Born in a barn and riding a donkey. It's a strange display of strength, isn't it? He didn't resist arrest. That's what they could not get their head around. When, when, when Peter says, you know, Jesus says, they're going to arrest me. And Peter says, no way. You're the almighty, everlasting God. You're the most powerful. They can't arrest you. And they got their swords out. And Jesus says, put your swords away. Don't you realise, he says to the disciples, I'm so powerful that if I wanted, I could summon 12 legions of armies. You know, and you think, what, what kind of power is that that he just has got in his back pocket? He doesn't use it. He didn't resist arrest. Instead, as the creed will go on to say, and we'll look at in future weeks, he suffered for us under Pontius Pilate. He stepped down into the pain and the suffering. He was crucified, died, and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And that is the answer. I mean, that is almighty God's ultimate response to the question of pain was to come and to suffer, and it was an almighty display of power to defeat the biggest enemy of all, death itself. Now, why doesn't he just snap his fingers and make it all okay? Well, actually, the creed says that one day he will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We don't know how, we don't know when, his understanding, no one can fathom. But in the meantime, he has made each of us a promise. He's made us a promise not to get rid of all the pain in the world right now. Praise God, sometimes he does. Sometimes he intervenes in ways that blow our minds and he displays his power in miraculous ways. 
but he hasn't promised to always. What he has promised to do is to strengthen us with his mighty power, to give his power away to the weak, to you and to me who will wait on the Lord to renew our strength. And that is the most comforting thing anybody could ever hear. I mean, the chapter begins with the repetition of the word comfort. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. And there can be nothing more comforting than to know that even though we haven't got all the answers, and even though we're weak, there is somebody who has got the answers and who is strong to sustain us in the trial. As one writer says, never be afraid to exalt the sovereignty, the majesty, the awesome power of God to the nth degree and beyond. It is the pillow on which we are able to lay our heads. Conclude, as some people might want to do, that the problem of pain must mean that God can't be almighty. Well, it doesn't solve the problem. It just makes it worse. It takes away our hope. But to say that we haven't got all the answers, but we know somebody who does is the most amazing source of strength and comfort. Just have a look over at chapter 41, verse 10. Remember how, God, how big God's almighty hand is? Look at what else he's going to promise to do with it. Chapter 41, verse 10, he says, Don't fear, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will, that's a promise, and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I wonder whether you need a bit of that this morning. We're going to wait. We're just going to pray. Uh, it says in uh, these great verses at the end of chapter 40, chapter, verse 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Look at all the promises. Will renew their strength. Will soar on wings. Will run and not grow weary. Will walk and not be faint. Will, will, will. And where it says those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, that word, the old version has it as Wait those who wait on the Lord and put their hope in him. So we're going to wait just now, and perhaps you just want to pray quietly in the silence of your hearts. I'm going to pray for anybody here who is feeling like they need God to show up, like they're going through things which they don't understand, and they would like a little dose of his almighty strength to sustain them in the trial that they're going through. So let's pray. Let's just be still for a moment.